will come, days will go, days of joy, days of woe. The sun will set, the sun will rise, sapphire blue, dull grey skies. From whence you came is where you will go. The door you opened is the last door you will close. It is 4 a.m. A crimson sky like fire on the horizon heralds the dawn over the estuary. There is a tall, solitary figure out there standing upright on a boat, alone on the water, and rowing and gliding very quietly, very slowly, across the dark marshes. This is the last man of his kind working the creeks and the saltings under the moon in all seasons. A hardy weathered man of words, out of this world and not of this age, whose kingdom is the marsh. His name is Walter Linnet, the very last wildfowler. It is 1958, and Walter lives in an isolated, tiny, four-roomed cottage that shares the silence and the silver sea with one of the oldest churches on this windswept and empty part of Essex. Built two centuries ago as a Coast Guard's home to guard the shore in the Napoleonic Wars. The cottage built of wood and the chapel, which is called St. Peter's, built of red brick from the ruins of the old Roman fort that once stood here, saw a great deal of smuggling in bygone times. And the high tides and the high winds blow the salt sea that spumes over the garden, making anything impossible to grow in this loneliest dwelling on the peninsula of Bradwell Juxtamere. For over a century, the Linnets, a family of wildfowlers and coastguards, lived here. Walter, the last of these, was a tall, muscular, soft-spoken man of Viking stock, nicknamed the King of the Gunners, because of a small cannon that was built into his nine-foot punt that he went out on the marsh in which to hunt. A quiet, solitary figure that did not welcome visitors and worked the saltings alone every day of his life up until he departed this world. It is the day before Christmas Eve. 
After working since the early hours, Walter returns home at dusk, the winter sun fading over the darkening marsh. He prepares dinner, and without electricity in the cottage lights up the oil lamps and builds a warming fire, crackling and snapping the dried kindlings sputtering into a roaring blaze and becoming again the good companion as he peels his potatoes and prepares a simple fish supper. He plans to work the following day before he takes a break for Christmas. So after dinner and a doze in front of the fire, Walter begins a little reading, which will take him sleepily to his bed in an hour or so. It is around nine by now, and he banks up the fire with some well-seasoned logs that burn to a deep gold. Later in the evening, in the silence of the night, the fire beginning to fade and the oil lamps dimming, he hears a sound which piques his interest and wakes him from his slumber. is, as he heard it a long time ago. It is very faint at first, like a distant muffled drum beating on the turf. It is a horse galloping through the night, which comes closer and closer until it is outside his door, which he rushed to open, but looked out onto an empty moonlit night with the sound of a horse galloping off in the distance. He was angry then, as he thought it was some crazy person driving a horse so hard in the middle of the night. A non-believer in the unexplainable, an incredibly practical man, who if he could not put any plausible understanding on a matter, did not give it any credence. He had heard the story of the Roman centurion galloping through the night on the old Roman road through the fort of Othona. But that was just a story, and so he was convinced it could be some deferred sound from the marsh or the distant village and as mystifying as it was went to bed the following morning on christmas eve he leaves at 4 a.m to begin his work not a particularly successful day he decides to leave early in the afternoon the light is beginning to fade and he has seen an oak bulkhead washed up on the foreshore from an old ship which he decides to take back to the cottage. He knows he will find a good use for such a solid piece of timber, and as the tide is on the turn, he has to get it back quickly. 
A very heavy oak beam, Walter begins to struggle with the weight, but he does not give in, and finally gets it back to the cottage in the dark, but on returning feels very faint and very breathless, and has no alternative but to lay down for a while, and takes to his bed. He is 81 years old, and unbeknown to him at this moment, he is taking his final breaths. At 3 a.m. Christmas morning, after an agonizing night, struggling alone for the life he does not want to leave, Walter gives up the ghost. The last wild fowler is dead. It is a fine summer's morning in July 1964. The old cottage is now rented to bird watchers, and outside by the front porch are many medieval hunting birds on their wooden perches. Goshawk, peregrine falcon, merlins, and hobbyhawks, a sight from some bygone age. They belong to the new tenant, Robert Knowles, who is renting the old place with his dog Squeak and his friend Malcolm Chittleborough. This is some irony, as Walter did not like the bird watchers who claimed the area and who turned it into a kind of chaos in his last years, and who were now living in his cottage. Robert kept his birds at night in an old outside shed, and after spending the morning bird watching, they were taken out on the marsh for an afternoon of hawking. He had hardly heard anything at all about the previous owner, just how long he had lived at the cottage and what he did, but not too long after they had begun the tenancy, odd things started to happen. Back in the winter, when they first moved in, they arrived back late from the marsh. It was a cold and frosty night, and they made a fire to warm the room. A little dinner and some wine, and the conversation turned to the old smuggling and how the church a hundred yards away took the contraband after it had been hidden at the cottage, 
until the all clear came to move it. They were told there were tunnels and wondered where they may be, perhaps between the church and the cottage, and could there still be old barrels left in a hurry by a smuggler alarmed by the excise men constantly checking the black water? And just as they were working out where all that might be, they heard those galloping hoofbeats that Walter had heard, which at first they did not suspect as anything odd, even at this late hour. But as it got closer, they did begin to question the speed of the rider and the time of night. So out of curiosity, they took a look outside, but saw no rider and no horse, only an empty moonlit night waxing silver on a silent sea, and a gentle breeze blowing, yet heard a horse galloping far off into the distance. This caused a little uneasiness, but they thought maybe there was an explanation that they might be too tired to see. So called it a day. They were beginning to see that this area and the ghost of the Roman centurion they were told about and that they might have heard was an eerie place indeed. And so later that year in the autumn, from a day bird watching, they returned to the cottage. It was chilly, so they decided to get the first fire of autumn underway. After eating, they decided to turn in early, as they will be up at dawn and back out on the saltings. They slept in the tiny back room, a bed either side squashed into the wall and Squeak Robert's Lakeland Terrier sleeping on the floor in between. When Malcolm's head lay on the pillow, he was gone from this world. Robert lay awake staring at the embers of a small fire in the room, wondering about all the people that would have done the same in so many years. Squeak, laying in front of the fire, would normally be deep asleep by now, but began walking restlessly around the room. Unusual this, Robert said to Malcolm, as near midnight Squeak would normally be out for the count. But Malcolm was deep asleep. What was initially restlessness in the dog now became an intense staring at the window. Robert, now wide awake, was passing comments about the odd behavior from his dog to his companion on the other side of the room. But all the noise had still not stirred him. Squeak began to growl, still staring at the same place. Then running frantically across the room, away from the window, Robert now felt very uneasy. Is it a burglar out there in the dark, he thought, and decided to get up and check. But just as he did, the dog started to quiver uncontrollably and began barking furiously at the window and then froze on the spot. Robert, now feeling a fear he had never experienced before, as the change of atmosphere in the room became absolutely terrifying, saw a face outside peering into the room through the window. The face had dark eyes and a sad mournful expression and was now staring straight at him. Convinced that it was a burglar, he was about to fetch his gun, but to his utter horror, the face 
began moving in to the room through the window, and suddenly the whole shape of a man, dressed in a fisherman's jacket with a double row of buttons, was standing right in front of him. Robert was paralyzed as the apparition floated by him and glided towards Malcolm, who was still asleep, and stood there completely motionless for a while, staring at him. Robert saw the face clearly as it had passed him by, and now, to his total horror, saw only a mist around the bottom of the apparition as he floated back past him to the window and seemed to vaporize through it. Malcolm was now awake and seeing the shape move across the room and startled by the look on Robert's face, jumped out of bed and raced towards the door and into the passage. Robert, now gaining a little composure, was hard on his heels as they got outside into a moonlit night. But there was nothing to be seen. Nothing anywhere, an empty garden backing on to an empty marsh with the sound of Robert's uneasy birds in the shed. Malcolm seemed unsettled and most concerned because the September before in 1963, he and two other friends experienced exactly the same event. They were all sitting around the fire that night in the living room when one of them pointed to that same face peering in through the window just a few feet away. They all saw him in the same clothes, the double-buttoned seaman's jacket, with that same sad, mournful look. Though late, they expected him to knock at the door, but there was none. So they got up and looked outside, and the garden, along the sea wall, the saltings, and the old Roman road up to the chapel, and the gate that was closed were empty and white in the moonlight, and not a soul was in sight. They searched the garden with a torch to make sure no one was hiding in the shed, the old bakehouse, or the outside wooden toilet, but there wasn't a sight of anything. So they all went back into the cottage and kept all the lights on. All three were pretty scared and slept that night with their twelve boar shotguns loaded and ready. Robert had also been told by a falconer in the bird-watching group that he had lost his favourite bird, a hawk, out on the marshes one late afternoon and decided to come back and stay the night alone at the cottage to search again early in the morning. It was a stifling hot midsummer's eve. The sea glittered like jewels under a windless sky, and dusk came with oppressive heat. The falconer slept in the tiny back bedroom with the window wide open, but the room was still uncomfortably hot. During the night he woke up ice cold, and he felt some presence in the room like someone standing there right by the bed, but the room was empty. He went to get up to close the window, but something cracked him on the jaw and knocked him back on the bed with a really hard blow. But there was nothing in the room. He was in total shock that he had felt a physical blow from an unseen fist and extremely confused and could not work out why or how the window had been closed. This was the room, you see. 
in which Walter Linnet died in agony on that Christmas Eve not so many years before. And even though this fellow was a hard-headed matter-of-fact man who did not believe in ghosts, he spent the rest of the night in his car. He did not go back to the cottage ever. I think this is what Walter wanted. There are many young people of recent years that have seen that face at the window, and quite a few reports of the apparition in the cottage late at night. All have been terrified of the presence, especially in the tiny back room where Walter died. I guess what could be more natural than the old wild fowler resenting the bird watchers as intruders? When Walter died, he was laid to rest in the ancient chapel of St. Peter's, a hundred yards or so from the cottage. The last to have laid there would have been a local Saxon lord, so this was a great honor to the king of the marshes, which was Walter's domain and the only world he ever knew. This story for me takes you into a person's special world, a world that was ancient, but fading in his lifetime, and that he loved so much and never wanted to let go of, either in this life or after his death. A place where he lived a solitary happy existence and stayed on. The last wildfowler, Walter Linnet. And so the cottage is there today, still a place for bird watchers to stay and still retaining an eerie, remote loneliness, surrounded by the empty sea. And the old Roman centurion is still heard galloping through the night. Strange old place, the marshes, on Bradwell juxta mare. But be careful here, because the watchers are being watched. <laughs> <laughs>